Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday, we begin in Alabama and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. The Music of America podcast continues today with Bomar and Ritter up in Deputy. We'll talk with them about Deputy Indiana and about their music and their songwriting skills after we talk about my custom-made, handmade acoustic guitar named Margaret. has the tonal quality of a name-brand high-end guitar, which we won't say the name of it, but this baby fits my hand perfectly. With that mahogany neck, it glides easily when I play, but what I love most on this guitar is the low-end sustain. I mean, I think it's still ringing from the first open E chord I played when I first got her. She was built for me by a friend of mine, Joe Mendel, from Joe Mendel's Frets, one of our sponsors of the Music of America. A maple bridge and fretboard, a veneer Zircote headstock. I think it's the spruce body, though, that gives it that resonance, that sustain. It's beautiful-looking, beautiful-sounding guitar, all custom-made for me from Joe Mendel's, joemendelsfrets.com. We were talking off-camera with uh, Bob Ritter and Mary Bomar of Bomar and Ritter and or off mic or whatever about your style and uh, how inspiring it is to me because I'm trying to write more and we were just coming back from Maine and we're going through the Kangamangas Pass in New, New Hampshire just a beautiful God's artwork all over the place and the first song that we listen to today from Boomer and Ritter is called It Does a Heart Good. And and Mary is singing the song and singing exactly what I wanted to say in my song. So let's talk about that, shall we? Or should we, sure. let's get it, let's get in your pedigree first. I mean, you both play, you both sing. Mary backs up uh, uh, Bob and Bob backs up Mary on a lot of your songs, right? Yes. How did you meet? How did you start playing together? How long have you been playing? How long have you been writing? How long have you been singing? Oh, Go. <laughs> well, since, since I'm a little bit older than Bob is, um, you know, at, at at the age of about nine or 10, I got an auto harp for Christmas and oh, that wow. got me started. And I had an aunt Emmy who played and she showed me what to do. And then when I was uh, 14, I had a friend in junior high who played guitar and he taught he played left handed guitar upside down. But he taught me a few chords, and I, so I taught myself to play guitar. Got a guitar for Christmas, and and just went from there. And over the years, I, I don't know. I feel like in some ways I'm playing better than I ever have. Yeah, I listen to some old recordings sometimes, and I'm and I'm hearing what I was doing. I'm going, wow, I was doing that back then. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of fun. I played snare drum in the high school band, um, and and just kept playing guitar and and moved to Nashville in um 84 and then back home and had a bad car wreck that that's kept me at home in central virginia okay. and then when i moved back to nashville in 1989 uh or 87 and bob and i met in 1989 through a mutual friend and uh i think there was a a, a, a connection a musical connection maybe a spiritual connection when we met and then we spent some time working with this friend on a couple of songs to do at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. And after a, a week or so together, I think it was kind of obvious to both of us that we wanted to be together. And mm -hmm. after about three months, I think we were 
ready to make the commitment, but we made it, we waited a year and, and then got married. <laughs> and I was, grew up in a, uh, my dad was a basketball coach. My mom was a music teacher. So my life was sports and music. Yeah. Um, I, I played basketball through, uh, well, grade school, high school, played basketball for my dad in high school and then on through college. And, but then I was kind of, and I was always a real shy person. So people didn't realize I loved playing guitar. I was le learning to play. I started when I was 13, took some lessons from a, a guy and we became really good friends over the years, just for about a year or so. And then picked up the rest on my own and real kind of influenced by all sorts of acts in the early seventies, even some of the rock acts, which I couldn't play. You know, I was trying to play rock stuff on an acoustic little team right. acoustic. Guitar. But, but the, you know, the early days, Jim Croce, Loggins and Messina, and eventually in uh, John Denver. And then eventually, you know, like guys like Dan Fogberg, Kenny Loggins on like that. And so after my basketball days were through, I really wanted to go on playing music more full time, even though it was hard to, do that full time. So I was trying to find regular work and eventually did working in a hospital and, and just started writing and trying to uh, feel my way through the, the music thing and, and felt like some of the songs I was writing were, I was ready to play them for people, not to, to, to listen. I felt they were good enough to be played. And then I had a friend in Indianapolis who was a college buddy who was kind of a marketing guy. It was acting sort of as my manager, uh, but just helping me find my way to uh, the right people. And he met a guy in Nashville named Dave Salyer, who was had just got the gig with Barbara Mandrell, just an amazing guitar player. And wow. uh, I was interested in moving to Nashville. And, and Dave said, well, you know, I'll help him meet people. I'll do anything I can to help him. So I thought, well, I know one person. So in 1988, I decided to go ahead and move to Nashville and uh, continued on with the writer's nights and meeting people and trying to, you're always, I mean, even up to now, and, and you'll never stop trying to improve your songwriting like like you're working on your writing it's a never-ending process but uh, and then we met you know about a year after i moved down there and then that's we started working together and um you know long long story here we are today i mean we can get into more stuff later i think but but that's kind of where my uh my uh, background of playing is so music was always in my my heart sports until it was just you know the playing days were over um, well, I mean, Indiana, you got to play basketball. It's kind of like being in Texas. You got to play football, right? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. And it's still, still in my blood. We played uh, or sang the national anthem for, for several events in Nashville for some of the Vanderbilt football games. And when we moved back up here, we got on uh, connected with some people who had the connections with the Indiana Pacers. So we oh, sang the national anthem for them, but we're on court side waiting to go out there and, and looking at the guys warming up and some of them. I'm about the same size as some of the guards in the league. And it's like, gosh, I miss playing, but, but, uh, you know, it's dangerous to get out and play at this at my age. Cause you get hurt too easily, but I still get, if I get a chance to shoot some buckets somewhere, I still try and that's try and do that. Yeah. I just uh, loved it. Now, Mary, you mentioned auto harp and immediately had me thinking of not Indiana. That's not really an instrument that I think associate with the Midwest. I associate it more with, uh, like Appalachia. But, well, I grew up. I grew up in Central Virginia. That's yeah. not, the southwestern part of Virginia, Alta Vista, is where I was born. That's south of Lynchburg, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And when I was eight months old, uh, Dad and Mom moved up to outside, thirteen miles outside Charlottesville, a little town called Sismont. That at that time the entrance and exit 
signs were on the same signpost, which sat <laughs> right across the road from the, the gas station that my dad ran for 49 years, which was attached to the Sismont post office that my mother's dad was the postmaster. Oh, wow. Um, and so it was just a really, really neat little community to grow up in. And, and so my first public experience was playing at a, at a school that we were doing a school play. And I was kind of, I guess maybe the opening act and I got out and played my auto harp and got and sang. It, it was just, you know, so it was 15 when it was 15 before I picked up the guitar and someone showed me some chords and then I taught myself to play guitar. I ne never had any formal guitar lessons. At just music, my mother was a church organist. She sang. Daddy actually has a really good voice. If you go and listen to uh, the song Bang Bang Blue, that is about my dad. And at the end of it, he sings You Are My Sunshine. Oh, um, wow. it's, it's just a delightful thing to listen to. So um, just being surrounded by the 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 music of that time, Joni Mitchell, the first first songs I ever learned to play were Joni Mitchell songs. She's she's my go to end all. <laughs> I love yeah. Joni. Yeah. I got to ask Bob, with the name Ritter and your your pedigree and your music background, do people ask you if you're related to Tex or John? More John. I mean, there uh, there's the John Ritter of you know the TV star. There was a, a basketball player from that played in, at Indiana University back I think in the like. 72 through 75 or 76 and a lot of folks i was uh he was in college at that point i was in high school at that point and people were wondering whether i was related to him and and uh i think he lived in northern indiana so i mean there's always a possibility way down the line my right. uh or my grandfather and family the ritter family kind of came up through uh across louisville into the town of jeffersonville which is right across the, the river from louisville kind of came up from that way so um, there's always a possibility, but I haven't really studied the genealogy to to find out. <laughs> His basketball nickname was Tex. Yeah, they did. I did have uh -huh. the Tex nickname. It, it, I played at Indiana State for a couple of years, played at a small college not too far from here one year, and then a junior college in Illinois. I just wasn't happy with the situation at, at the first college. And then the junior college is kind of a step up to wherever the next level was, and I had a chance to go up to Indiana State. And they called me Tex there. That was, and my dad had That's the nickname. He played at Purdue back in the early, the late 40s, early 50s. And he had the name Tex. But when I moved to Nashville, I thought, well, I can't, you know, can't take Tex Ritter. That name was already <laughs> taken. <laughs> back to the good old Bob Ritter. <laughs> when you moved to Nashville, you guys weren't together. Then. Right. So, did your paths ever cross and you didn't know it? And like no. now you look well, back and say, we may have done a show together. There might have been a one time oh we God. know there was a, I think it's the same one. There's a place, it was at Murphy's Pub downtown mm -hmm. on, on Church Street, downtown Nashville. And they had riders nights all over town. And there's a, a guy that I knew, I think his name was Troy McConnell. And and uh, he had actually Garth Brooks before Garth hit big. He he befriended Garth and Garth came and sang some of Troy's songs. Oh, and wow. I think we were both there the same night at this little place, but didn't you know, know didn't, didn't know and i think that's the one i mean there could have been others because there are a lot of the writer's nights but we we had talked about that one and we had been to so many writer's nights before we met um it would have been hard to decide for that but knowing garth brooks was at that one uh, you don't forget seeing garth brooks in the early yeah. days <laughs> before he was something or he was and, just 
getting ready to get signed. Yeah, in fact, Troy said said Garth has just been signed to Capitol Records, so he's really excited about that. And that's the last time anybody saw Garth in those small settings like that. He yeah. he took off, yeah. and uh, pretty amazing. It sounds like a making of a Lifetime or a Hallmark movie, though, y'all. With the two of you, you know. You met on. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sound fun. And now thirty three. Now thirty three years later, right? We, we, it sound we, fun. We, still, we get along just fine. Uh, <laughs> well, let's let's talk about your song. I already brought up. It does a heart good. Did you write that, Bob, or did Mary write that? Mary wrote I, that. I wrote that. Okay. It was uh, a few years ago. It was near the end of May, and Bob was in Nashville, still doing his hospital pharmacy tech work mm -hmm. before he retired from there. And it was fairly early and, and we're way out in the country. It, it's we've, we're on two acres, but we might as well have 200 or more because yeah. we're surrounded by corn and soybean fields. And I, I fixed a cup of coffee, walked out on the porch, got a, a, a lawn chair, set it out. And the sun was shining down. And all of a sudden I realized that every blade of grass had a drop of dew on it. Uh -huh. And it just started started that creative wheel turning and I probably I went and got paper and pen right then and I may have spent an hour or so on that song at that time most of my songs I've got them done in you know 30 minutes or it's just that I don't know why that happens I'm happy yeah. um but all through the month of June it seemed like every other day or every week something else would come to me to edit into that song and change that song to what it is right now. But I have to tell you, almost every time I play that song, someone comes up to me and they've got tears in their eyes or they're just saying, oh my gosh, that, that song just means so much to me because I'm just really a nature person. And yeah. so I, I just look at that song as a tremendous gift that was given to me by God. I mean, they're all gifts, but but some of them just feel more special than others do. Well, I'm going to invite people to kind of close their eyes and listen to the imagery, the picture that you're painting with your words and your music of this song, because it's that beautiful. It's, it just, it hit me that way. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, go ahead, go ahead. No, that's, I was just going to play the song. Oh, okay. I'm going to tell you one funny little story about that song. Sure. Years ago in Charlottesville, Virginia, a young man was going to UVA and he was a bass player and he came to the tennis shop where I was the accountant and the st racket stringer. And he was looking for some musicians to play with. And the manager of the store and I were playing in a duo at the time. So we started playing as a trio. Well, his name was Dave Pomeroy. He went on to play bass for Don Williams for years. Wow. He has, he's been president of the National Musicians Union now for 10, 11, yeah, at one. least 10 or 11 years. So we took a trip down to Nashville and I called Dave up and he said, yeah, come on over to the house. So we sat down. I said, I got a couple of songs I want to play for you. So I played that song and I, and in that second verse, it's like I stopped on a country road and watched deer running in the dark. Uh -huh. And, <laughs> and I had just talked about contemplating what, there is for cook, dinner yeah. to cook, you know. <laughs> and when I got through with the song, Dave looked at me and goes, oh, Mary, you scared me. When you stopped on the country road and looked at the deer, I thought you were going to shoot one and have it for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Kinda, every, every time I sing that verse, I can't help but think about that, and I try to keep from cracking up about it. So. 
That's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> but it's still a really good image. Yeah. You know, without, yeah. Without, without shooting Bambi here. Without you know? shooting Bambi. <laughs> so Bumar and Ritter, our guest from Deputy Indiana, and the first song we're going to listen to is called It Does a Heart Good. See 
Does a heart good, Bomore and Ritter. That's uh, Bob Ritter backing up Mary Bomore. And right, did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about another couple of their songs in a moment. Um, this is mainly for women, ladies. You don't really need big promises, right? You need results. Simple Beauty Retinol Moisturizer contains only the best ingredients for your skin. It doesn't contain any unnecessary ingredients that may cause further skin issues. Specifically formulated, the retinol moisturizer helps reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles, making the skin appear younger, softer, smoother. Powerful combinations of antioxidants like vitamins A, C, B5, and E fight premature aging by blocking DNA-damaging free radicals and promoting softness and elasticity. They contain natural ingredients like aloe vera, jojoba oil, rose water, sunflower oil, all great for alleviating a variety of skin conditions. It's called Simple Beauty Retinol Moisturizer, available at simplebeautyskincare.com. It simply works. So we were talking a little while ago, and you're the deputy dogs, but you were the Nashville cats. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, we, it's just a joke. It's yeah, funny, it's though. It's a, it's a funny story. I thought. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we just... It always gets a laugh at shows. Uh -huh. You know, we don't use it every time, but it it's it just that's the way it happened. And it's kind of cool that there was, you know, the song Nashville Cats and there was the yeah. show Deputy Dog. And so it just kind of makes a funny story. Well, that too, that, that struck my heart because Nashville Cats was one of the first songs I really, really listened to it was Love and Spoonful. It was the flip yeah. side, of, I think, of Daydream or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. I like Nashville Cats, but then I did the the hit that came out. I'm showing my age because I bought it as a 45. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah we <laughs> did too. <laughs> yeah. And then Deputy Dog was just uh, Deputy Dog is actually a uh, a, a cartoon that uh, my best friend and I reference periodically because <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> There's so many cartoons. Our our whole life is a cartoon. We we joke yeah. about that all the time. But oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. So you guys live in Deputy, but uh, and so when you were in nashville together you were just the nashville cats and now i just thought that was funny how you're the yeah. deputy <laughs> dogs so um bob the next song we're gonna write features you more right yes Our next one we're gonna play sometimes some days uh it's, it's a really contemplative song and and yeah. i noticed in listening to that one when i was listening to your music and then it hit me again today when right before you guys came on i listened to it again and there's something really cool but that you guys do in your music and it's it's not bludgeoning you over the head with it, but there's some really subtle, what I would call religious or Christian messages in everything that you do. You're, you're not singing praise and worship per se, but in your style, in your music, in your lyrics, it's like you're giving glory to God. Is that yeah. the intention or am I just reading too much into that? No. Well, Amen. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, sometimes we don't, I don't necessarily go into writing. I, I think I just ask for the guidance when I'm writing. Um, sometimes the songs are, or you know, it is a, an intent to say it without really, like, say, hitting people over the head. Because some people, it's just not they're not they don't accept it that way. But if they listen with that, with the other little, little more lighter note to it, they're more likely to listen. But yeah, a lot of the tunes that that we do uh, throughout 
all our recordings and even some of the songs that the cover tunes that we do a lot of them we hope it's some sort of a positive message to yeah. it in a spiritual realm well it's a neat way of marketing Absolutely. and positioning yourself and your music you know it's not crying your beer music it's not uh what was that on on, on uh hee-haw they used to do that uh whoa despair oh, uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah <laughs> Despair magazine on me. Yeah, yeah right, I, my right. dad loved Hee Haw. Yeah. And, and you, you don't get that from your songs. You get more, it's uplifting and it's positive. It's yeah. really a neat uh, style that you have. And I got both messages. I got the positive, uplifting message, but I also got like there's a subtle kind of glory to God thing, you know? We, I, we had we had a man, uh, we were playing at a place in Virginia, a winery. And we'd been playing, I don't know, an hour or so. And he he came up and we finished a song and he said, you all play life music. And it's so refreshing. That is such a great way of putting it. Yeah. 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 I've got some songs that I've written that are kind of that are still kind of sitting in the in the uh, in the notebook and somewhat contemplatively. I have a little more of a, uh, I wouldn't say darker personality, but. Um, there's some moments where it's like I'm where it's just like sometimes like what's what's really going on with my life you know and so there's a couple of tunes that that kind of question uh that which you know it may be whop or they're they're out in the light of day but so uh, but at this point the things we do uh you know, we're gonna try not to say well I can't write about this because it's it's, it's a little bit away from our our yeah. normal thing yeah. just want to be open to writing stuff but at this point yeah we want to at least at the very least make people think um, about some something different that maybe from our angle, maybe this is the way we think about it. What do you guys think about yeah. it? Type of a thing. Now I want to make a comment about that song when we play it in public, mm-hmm. because I'm. It's like we're sitting in the church choir. We can see everything that's <laughs> yeah. going out out there in the congregation, <laughs> and it is wonderful to see the looks on men's faces when they're listening to Bob sing that song. Because I think most men are afraid to say those things that Bob is saying in that song because it might make them look less manly. I, that mm-hmm. may I don't know. That's just my observation is that that song kind of stops men in their tracks. Like, mm-hmm. whoa, he's saying what I'm feeling and thinking, but I can't get it out there. So he's doing it for me. Yeah, I think that's dead on accurate, Mary. I think it's like a ministry that bob's able to say what i can't you're able yeah, to say part, what i can't probably. you can put it in words that i can't i, I don't have that yeah. gift and, and part of the reason i suggested that song probably the most special song i've ever written is from our first recording called spirit of the man it's an older recording this mm-hmm. one is probably the the more the most wordy song i've ever written it took me a long time to write i mary our songwriting styles are completely different she'll knock them out in an hour and sometimes i'm working on not that i'm every day working on a song for years, but I'll work on it and then I'll have to let it go. And it might be, you know, a year or uh, maybe three weeks or it just depends. But um, that's probably the truest song from just about the feelings I have inside sometimes, the ups and downs of daily life. And it just kind of kind of a comparison contrast for the most part. Uh, um, and I thought, well, maybe this displays my schizophrenic personality, which I really don't have. But but it's like Mary says, no, I think a lot of people feel that way. There's there's good days and bad days. And, and it is a, uh, you know, it, uh, 
everybody has those days. Some days you're just cruising along and things great, and all of a sudden, whatever happens, your car breaks down, or yeah. you're you know you have a big financial hit, or, or, or you get sick or whatever, and it's just like then you got to grind through that. But it all all comes back around. It's all like the, you know this too must pass type of thing in, in some of those situations. So that's that's kind of where that song came from. And well, this song really tells that story well. How about good. that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to hear from from uh, other folks and people that are writers like you. So, when, like like Mary said too, when you're when you're looking out and you see guys just sitting there, like, like they're almost like hanging on every word. You know, you got yeah. them. You know, they're listening. Yeah. And there's something in that combination of music and vocals and lyric that hooks somebody and keeps them there. I mean, I could, there's a, there's a very off colored joke about a guy plays a piano and he's beautiful pianist. And he sits back down at the bar and bartender says, why aren't you playing that regularly? Why aren't you playing out? He goes, yeah, my songs are horrible. He goes, well, that was a beautiful piece. What was it? And it was just a really off colored name. So he titled his song wrong is, is the joke, you know, (laughs) but you put the whole thing together in this, well, in, in the songs that I've heard of you guys. And, uh, uh it it leaves me speechless sometimes which is so rare oh well, thank you <laughs> yeah. thank you so much Our you know, back, to, to the, back to the just briefly to the christian thing i do write a, a lot of music that i sing at my church uh, i go to a really small little presbyterian church in scottsburg the 12 miles away and we have several PNS, we don't have one per, one music person. And so um, at least once a month when we're not in our really busy season, um, they love for me to do all the music for a Sunday worship service. So COVID really inspired me to do a lot of writing because Bob and I did all the music during that time. We had parking lot services. Uh-huh. We sat up inside the hallway of the church with the speaker outside we put the minister outside with a microphone and then we would brought, you know, sing and the music would go. So we did that for about 11 weeks during COVID. And during that time, I wrote a couple of songs for those services. And then recently there've been a few more and I'm getting ready to do that one soft white pine this coming Sunday. We're doing an out outside worship service where the preacher does the sermon on the Mount. So, so that, that doing that music at church has inspired me to write a lot of songs actually right from scripture. And, and so, and I, you know, sometimes I do those songs out and there's one I wrote called tapestry and it's, it kind of like knocks people out when I do it. And um, so, you know, it's like being able to every now and then get one of those songs in. Cause you know, you sing amazing grace at a, in a bar and people will sing along, you know, it's not like opposed to it. So anyway, that's just an aside. Okay. <laughs> Anything else about sometimes, some days? No, I think we we kind of covered the the, the Cliff Notes version okay. of it. Anyway, it did take a while to to put put it all together. Uh, the writing the initial uh, part was a it's going to be a completely different direction on it, but it was a living in. Nashville working full time at the hospital job, and I always wanted to do music, and I was just trying to find a way uh, at that time. And so it was a frustrating time. And I think on, on a lunch break one time, I just sat down and started writing it. And then eventually, as years went by, uh, um, and we we'd gotten away from doing a lot of our own performing for a while there in Nashville because we just didn't know where to go with it. And so, uh, but yeah, eventually it just became 
a really from my heart and, and the, again the truest probably the truest lyric I've ever written um, just about the ups and downs and wants and desires and sometimes the frustrations of some things not not being met yeah. uh, and, and you know especially that there's that one verse about uh, sometimes I uh, I feel content with the path before my eyes sometimes I'm uh, frustrated with how quickly time goes by or I'm uh, share the satisfaction of another's gain sometimes I'm disappointed from what I've not attained you know it's uh, at first I had something about being envious but it's like I'm not really envious you know, sometimes you're glad for somebody else. It's like, well, when when's my time to have maybe a little more success or whatever like that? So, yeah, just a, a lot of uh, I, I do a lot of self-editing along the way. Uh-huh. And so anyway, uh-huh. people hear the tune, they, they get some sort of message out of it. I walk like three <laughs> to five miles a day. And mm-hmm. a song like that will be a meditation song for me now. Oh, cool. Because, you okay. know, it really does, it, it gives you pause, it gives you an opportunity to sit there and kind of look at things and just say sometimes, some days, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. let's give it a listen. Omar and River, our guest today, and the song is called Sometimes, Some Days. Sometimes I sit by myself and let dreams take me away. Sometimes my mind is smothered by the worries of the day. Some days the routes are open and the way is crystal clear. Some days the doors close all around and the light disappears. Sometimes I see things in this world that bring such hope to me. Sometimes I have to close my eyes to what I can't bear to see. Some days I'm good and strong and full of honest pride. Some days I'm cold and lonely and have to stay inside. Sometimes, some days are all Pieces fall in place. Life flows easily. Some days, sometimes we'll pull and drag you down. Test the limits of your will as you stand on shaky ground. content with the path before my eyes sometimes I feel frustration at how quickly time goes by some days I share the satisfaction of another's gain some days I'm disappointed from what I've not attained Sometimes, some days are all they're meant to be. All the pieces fall in place. Life flows easily. Some days, 
Sometimes I listen to my heart and all it has to say. Sometimes I let the shallow words of others block my way. Some days I express myself and leave no room for doubt. Some days I stay real quiet and let them figure me out. Sometimes, some days are all they're meant to be. All the pieces fall in place. Life flows easily. Some days. Our guests today, Bob Ritter and Mary Bomar, Bomar and Ritter from Indiana. I'm your host, Tom Pollard on the Music of America podcast. You know, we've all done this, right? We find that perfect tone we're looking for. Then the club owner comes up and says, you know what? You're, you guys are kind of loud. Can you, uh, can you turn it down? Then you have to change everything you've spent like the last hour or so trying to achieve that tone, that perfect tone where you're always in the sweet spot. Well, introducing the Lexi from Landry Amps. The Lexi is a 100-watt amp that has at its core a vintage Plexi circuit. It has a rhythm crunch channel, a boosted lead channel. It has a digital reverb, tube buffered effects loop, depth control, and an awesome voice switch. It has considerably more gain than a Plexi does at volumes ranging from a whisper all the way to concert volume levels, and it's designed to be played at those lower volumes so you can tune it down or turn it down and not lose that tonal quality. The two channels each have their own gain and master volume control, but they share the EQ, which is, I think is the key to how this whole thing works. And I'm not an amp guy. I'm, I don't know the electronics, but Bill Landry does. And that's where you can find out about the Lexi and many other amps. Landry Amps, he's got a YouTube channel where you can actually watch him go through his different amps and explains each amp and what they do. Or you can just check them out at their website, www.landryamps.com. Now, you guys play acoustic, so you don't really do the amp thing that much, do you? Not so much. I'd like to. Uh, I've, I've got a couple electrics, and and uh, it's been hard. To, sometimes we don't have enough room um, on stage to bring more than a couple acoustic right. or backups and open tunings. But I really, I, I do like to play some blues and some electric stuff. And because on, on their kaleidoscope uh, uh, recording, I did, uh, except for one song, all the electric leads and things like that. So there's that part of me that wants to rock out some too. So yeah. that may be coming in future future uh, days and and of course we always we record the projects like we hear in our head but we still just go out and play the tunes acoustically so yeah i'm um, building a studio um, at my house just outside of st louis I'm, I'm in burlington vermont right now so we do half the year here half the year there and i'm okay. in the process of building a studio we're not that far away a few hours probably from you guys so when i get it yeah, all I done hours, just so, yeah but is it five hours yeah i think about from here yeah 
Okay. That's well, not that's that we do that all the time. We'll come see you. <laughs> you come down and uh, we'll rock out. I'll get my buds over there. Yeah. I've got a drummer, yeah. okay. a couple guitar players, and I even got a keyboard player that is now retired, so we might start jamming with us. But uh, but speaking yeah. of studios, now we were talking uh, off mic about recording. Where do you record? Do you guys record at your own studio? Do you have friends that record for you? Do you go to Bloomington or Indianapolis or Chicago or where do you guys do your recording? Well, our, our very first recording we did in Nashville at Sound Emporium and Dave Pomeroy, the, right. the bass guy, he produced that one and and just wonderful work on that. And then the second recording called uh, Take the Road, my brother's a, a amazing bass player out of Indianapolis and uh, he played with us sometimes and he's in a, in a group there called Duke Tomato, who's a, a well-known blues guy, very popular yeah. in, in central Indiana and Phil's a great bass player, but he's He's got a nice little studio in his in his basement, and so he had the time to record there. And it, I was really pleased with the way that came out. Well, this most recent one, a guy named Bryce Bowman, who I was in a trio with in Indianapolis back in the '80s. He's had a studio for for years, uh, and it's the one he's got now is called Earshot Audio Post, and a lot of it's post production. But we, uh, he says, come up and record. You know, so at a certain point, we said, let's just go ahead and go up and do some practice. Uh, recordings to see how it sounds and so i think he didn't realize maybe how big of a project we were wanting to do a two cd set <laughs> but um <laughs> he he is uh he's an emmy award-winning sound designer where you know they add sound effects into a lot of uh television commercials he was actually one of the sound designers a lot of sound design for the indianapolis 500 lead-ins when they come on the air and they have that five or six minute segment where they talk about all the stuff and he's adding in these, these sound effects from racing to crowd cheering to announcers. And then recently he was on the Olympics. The NBC had the Olympics. Uh, I guess the one was in Beijing and even the last, whatever the, all the Olympics the last few years, he has been working in the studio in Indianapolis in the wee hours in the morning because over on the other side of the world, they're doing a lot of yeah. sound design. Yeah. So uh, just an amazing producer. And he did a lot of stuff behind the scenes when we weren't there as his studio manager. Mina uh, was did a lot of the piano work. Bryce played some piano, so we wanted to throw some a shout out to, to Bryce Bone and Earshot Audio Post in Indy because he just did a lot of a lot of work. I think it was his first really full album production that he had done. He does tons of Commercial. uh, commercials and ads and things like that. Um, but the sound was was uh, by far the best of anything that that we had been able to do because of his expertise. So and and if he had. If he had actually charged us oh, for his God. time, he would own our house, our cars, everything, <laughs> the rest of our life. So yeah. I mean, there's, it's just amazing that he, as Bob's friend, and uh, and and I think probably never having done a full blown music project, he he was taking it on as an education for him also, and uh, and he just, you know, God bless him, he he didn't charge us anything. We paid paid the musicians who came in and played. And um, and so when we sent a copy to Dave Pomeroy, who, as I said, is the president of National Musicians Union and has played with so many great people, he said, this guy knows what he's doing. Oh, he good. really knows what he's doing. He said, that's the best sound you all have ever gotten on a recording. So, yeah. How cool is that? Like Friday afternoons, which generally were pretty slow. We go up, uh, you know, start at the. 11 o'clock maybe noon and go till five o'clock and that was a few times he had some stuff going on so there might have been it would have been nice to have just 
gone for like three weeks and knocked it all out in one stretch. But it took about 18 months, 18 months by the time we got the artwork and all that other stuff done for yeah. people. It was about two yeah. years from the start to the completion. But um, we just did it the way we, we could. And so, uh, you know, there might have been three or four weeks in between times and we'd go every week for three or four weeks. So um, it, it came together pretty well for kind of being uh, just put together in, in segments. And so, Who does your yeah, artwork? Do you design it yourself, either of you, or do you have, hire somebody? No, there's a guy named Andy Carr out of Indiana. I'm not sure if he's still doing that. We talked to another musician out of Indiana who had just released a record, and, and I, I, it was kind of – we were trying to find out. who We didn't have the software or the expertise to know how to put all that stuff together. Mm-hmm. And this other guy had just released a record, and his artwork was kind of cool, and he – I saw a post and I, I got in touch with him and I said, who did your artwork? And he said, this kid out of Indianapolis, a pretty young guy at the time, he's like 24. And so we sent some sort of photography and some ideas. We did kind of design how the layout was inside, but then he had the artwork and, and put all that together for the templates for the company to put the CDs together. So uh, that was the other, it took a little while to get that. So we might the record might've come out just a little bit sooner had we not have to jump through that. But it was kind of interesting how that, timing was that we needed somebody and this other you know other musician referred us to to andy carr out of indy so but on on all three projects we did the photography Uh, we did our first step cd done in 93 (laughs) we set the camera on a tripod and walked up this dirt gravel road in franklin tennessee and and shot the picture and it's funny because somebody sent us the simon and garfunkel cover that they did and they're both walking together they're not yeah. holding hands like we were <laughs> and then the, the second take the road cd there's a, a road in deputy that is just real windy and over hills and it's a driveway and i was going out one day after getting fresh eggs and i thought now this would be cool for our next album cover because we knew that take the road was going to be the title so i took a photo of that and then on our Kaleidoscope CD, uh, our kitty cat Gracie is the eye in Kaleidoscope. If you see the, the cover, Uh-oh. it's K-A-L and then her eye and then D-O-S-C-O-P-E. And she's sitting in some poppy foliage looking out. And but the, the and we could have left it green with, you know, in the color and everything. But when he showed us the sort of grayish black. Uh-huh he just it was it was just so cool and then there's a little color there in her eye that's coming out and it really kind of pops so so as far as the photos on each one we we did those and kind of arranged them but but yeah the last one he did a little more more artwork was done by someone else uh-huh. and we'll be able to see all those when we go search for your stuff and we'll talk about that in our next segment right yeah yeah uh, yeah. You mentioned, uh, both of you, I think at different times, mentioned that you guys do covers, and the last song we're going to listen is a cover, right? It's a Dan yes. Fogelberg song. I yes. always thought of myself as a big Dan Fogelberg aficionado, but apparently not, because there's quite a few songs that he's got out that I haven't heard of, and Wisteria is one of yeah. them. I've not heard that song. So Yeah, that that came from his very first recording. I, I you know... Earlier, we mentioned about the musical influences I had, even yeah. artists like Bob Seger and some of the rock acts I just loved because the mainly the lyrics, but of course the music was freaking too. But at some point, um, a friend I had uh, kind of turned me on to, I, and I, I knew who Dan Fogelberg was, but for some reason, it, 
it didn't click in until I heard the Netherlands record. And that point in my life, the, some of the songs he wrote on there sounded like they were, he'd written them for me because it was kind of a tough time I was going through. But um, so by, I kind of backtracked and picked up all his records. And so that Wisteria was from his first record called Home Free that came out in 1971, I believe. And uh, we had been, uh, Dan passed away in 2007. And they started in 2010 to uh, have a memorial. Well, first it was a memorial weekend in his hometown of Peoria. My sister told us about that. And we went to that event, not knowing that we could have gotten in touch with people to actually play on it. So that year we watched, and there's some people there that were really good and others that weren't, you know, tried not to be critical in the spirit of the event. But it's like, they were you know, very I'm, nervous. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> I thought we could do that, hang with these people, some of these folks and solos and duos and the one, you know, a whole range of, of acts and so we got into, we met some of the folks who were setting it up and we said we'd like to be involved next year because dan again was probably any artist that influenced my music uh it was him so we got on the next year and they said uh submit five songs i can't remember what the the, the two that i'd submitted that they didn't pick for us but they picked wisteria and a song called um the last the last nail from his uh, Captured Angel record, and then Morning, uh, Sky. Morning Sky, which is from his uh, Souvenirs record, which pr produced his first big hit called Part of the Plan. But um, so we started working on those, and, and in the meantime, Mary, we were three in weeks Virginia, before three weeks before the event, she had a, a weird fall. We were doing some work in the house, and that where she she fell through a, a ceiling or a, a a registered grate in the upstairs. At my parents' house and in fractured, Virginia. Fractured her ankle four in four, four places. <sighs> and uh, she couldn't put any weight on it. You know, for we seven had, weeks. For seven yeah. weeks. So anyway, along the way around that, it gave us a lot of time to really focus on these songs because... Uh, that was a good was, thing. That was, that was a really a good, good thing. That was the light at the end of trouble of, of having a, four broken bones in my foot is that all I could really do is sit in this wheelchair that we took the arms off of and we rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed oh, those okay. three songs. I didn't I didn't know those. We may have been playing The Last Nail, but we hadn't been playing Wisteria, yeah, Wisteria or Morning Sky. And I was very familiar with Dan's music. I started listening to him in the early 70s, uh -huh. that, that first uh -huh. album. So he I, he, I was a big fan, and and so that's all we did was was rehearse that music. Go ahead. So when we then when we got to the event that that uh, in 2011, uh, we got there. Of course, rolled her in the wheelchair, and the sound check was you know it was kind of grand long. We just had a couple minutes in the sound check, so we kind of lowered our expectations a little bit just because we just didn't know what to expect and trying to maybe keep our nerves down a little bit. Yep. And then as the event started. Um, you know, the, the crowd, there's like 500 people there. This was the second year they had it, but still uh, at this Pear Marquette Motel, an old classic motel in downtown Peoria, big ballroom. And uh, the first two acts got up there and the crowd was appreciative, but not like rapt attention. So, oh, okay, we can just kind of, you know, again, lower expectations. This is going to be okay, but it's not going to be, uh, we just didn't know. And so we got, got Mary up on the stage. It took, they didn't have a ramp to roll her up. So the guys carried her. Oh, no. With her <laughs> had a leg extension where she had her, had to have her foot out. But the and, interesting thing was and, that because they knew it was going to take more time to get us up yeah. there, mm -hmm. they had this guy from Alabama, Donnie Mills, who was one of the musicians playing. And he got up and started telling funny stories. And he had this whole crowd just in the palm of his hand laughing. And then all of a sudden, the last thing he says, 
you know, you can be the best musician, the best singer, and the best songwriter in the world. But if you don't capture your audience, you're nothing. Yeah. And then, you, then they, he walks off stage and they pick me up and roll me up to the microphone. And, and I just said, well, how do you follow that except a lady in a wheelchair with a leg extension? And that kind of warmed the crowd up to us. So then we, we started into the last nail. Well, it's got kind of a classic uh, intro with a guitar riff and people were really listening and, and, and really appreciated that. Well, then with Wisteria, we started into that. That was our second song. And that's even more of a haunting uh, intro. And of course, his, the, his studio recording was a lot more complex than anything we could do with two guitars. But we started that song and the, the room just fell completely dead silent. I mean, we've had a couple of those moments in our separate careers before we started playing music together where the room was just wrapped attention and had we not rehearsed so much and even lowered our expectations before that it started that, it might have freaked us out <laughs> but we started to play through the song and and at the end of it you know everybody even the waiters and people that were kind of tending to the uh, buffet tables everybody stopped and it was like we were in this little Globe. I think it like a snow globe that somebody <laughs> picks up, winds it up, shakes it, and sets it down, and then you're just staring at it, and you don't make a sound until it's finished. That what uh -huh. we were on that snow globe doing wisteria. And so we we came to the last uh, uh, line of the, the vocal part of the song. Now I'm again the studio recording. It goes on with these haunting strings, and we just kind of let our voices ring out and, and tail off at, at the end of the vocal part. The place was erupted in applause. Standing ovation. I get goosebumps still thinking wow. about it. Flicking with little flames all so over the room. People talked about the whole the whole rest of that weekend. It says, do you guys know what you did? And it's like, I don't know. You know, it was just something that happened. It was, it was just so overwhelmed. So that, that song, as far as any Dan Fogelberg song, has been real special and an important one to us because it really, not that we were wanting to be getting in with this group, but we wanted to be part of these events through the years. And we've been included up till uh, 2017. They 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 stopped doing it for a while, but they're they're going to pick it up again next year. Yeah. But anyway, they kept asking us to do different things through the years, and we were glad to help out wherever because it wasn't really about us. I mean, it was about yeah. us to be the featured performers uh, in Portland, Maine. That was being up there in Maine, and because he had a place in Deer Isle, um, uh -huh. and that's why folks wanted to take the celebration there, and that was a lot of fun. My brother played bass with us on that, and then the next year they asked us again in, in uh, Nashville where he, he had started off in his early part of his career. Um, and they asked us, they also uh, named us as, a, as an endorsed band of the Fogelberg Founda Foundation. So a lot of things are just flattered beyond all means just to, and to be able to honor Dan's music and that they felt like we did it in the right way. And yeah, yeah. When we, they're flattering. When we were in Maine the day after the show, and his wife, Jean, was there and she, you know, we did Gambler and she's in the front row flowing with everybody. She came up to me the next day on a, a boat cruise around the islands that they took everybody on and just said how much she enjoyed what we did and that we didn't do all the the hits. And, and when she started to walk away, I said, well, Jean, we're planning on driving up to Deer Isle tomorrow because we want to record the Reach at the Reach. And <laughs> what ha ended up happening is that she invited us to come to the house we went to the reach. She filmed us doing the whole thing. So if you, it's that promotion part, I guess. If you Google Bomar and Ritter, the reach, 
you'll see the recording that she, the video recording that she did of us. That's so cool. Yeah. Anyway, we've yeah. kind of gone a long way around to, to saying here's, you know, Wisteria is a real special tune to us in a, in a lot of ways, in particular to be able to honor uh, my musical mentor, especially. Of course, Joni Mitchell was one of Dan's musical mentors. So right. it, all kind yeah. of it, our it goes full circle. But this is, And this was taken from a live performance somewhere we had done this uh, in the last year or so I, i'm not even sure where, where it was yeah at. i wish we had a recording of that one that year in 2011 yeah. i think yeah. there was some recording was being done but we we don't know whatever happened to <laughs> it or if it ever even came out but yeah. um and it, you know we've we've done it with a little more experience since then but i don't think we've ever exactly touched what happened that night and and part of that was probably the energy of the room and all those rabid Dan Fogelberg fans sure. who just loved him beyond belief sometimes. Um, but, you know, we continue to the, do the song, not as often, um, but some people will come and ask for wisteria. And, uh, and the one thing about that weekend too, after we did that song and finished, uh, finished with morning sky, which was, you know, just the kind of a rollicking bluegrass tune. Um, it was, I put the guitars back in the cases and I, I, they had a thing in the park the next day where people would play their guitars and stuff. And it's like, I know the next time I touch my guitar, it's going to be a letdown because there's nothing that's going to come feeling that we had. And it was, it was like, I didn't want to touch my guitar for a couple more days because it's, it's, you had to get through that point to do it. But it's like, nothing's going to compare uh, at least right at that moment to what we just went through. So anyway, that's a long way around. So that, that's, that's, that's the story of Wisteria. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Don't need to hear the song now. We'll just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just move on. <laughs> That's funny. Bomar Ritter, and we're going to hear their version of Fogelberg's Wisteria. Did he bring you paper fans? 
That's Wisteria. We're with Bob Ritter and Mary Bomar from Deputy Indiana. Bomar and Ritter and kids, this is the segment of the show we call Shameless Self-Promotion. So you talk about websites and Spotify and where we can hear your music, find your music, et cetera, et cetera. Merch, anything you got, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah, the uh, our merch is just kind of a humble CDs. And, and right now, uh, we just ordered some more of the Kaleidoscope. Uh, CDs and and right now I'm, I'm setting up a thing on on uh, band. Shoot, what's the other one? Uh, band. Uh, well, bands in town. Uh, shoot, what's that other? One? <laughs> I don't do any of this. The, yeah, the, it's, that uh, stuff at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's all on you then, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it is. He's gonna. He's. You've heard enough out of me uh, for one day, so I'm gonna turn it over. Turn it over. Oh, band, band camp. Uh, band camp, okay. Bands in town, band camp. So I'm, I'm setting that up for people to, or they can actually buy the physical CDs. CD mm-hmm. Baby continue, or discontinued the selling of physical CDs, but they can contact us through our website uh, at, at bomarandritter.com. It's just spe- all spelled out, bomarandritter.com. And there's a, a link where you can in- email us, and we can figure out a way to get a CD sent to them in the in the short term, as opposed to them buying online, uh, streaming any any streaming platform. I think uh, we're out there on all of them. We we listen to Spotify here, but I think you know there's a whole bunch of them. Some I'd never heard of that <laughs> we're out there on, so they can stream and and download. I think through Amazon. Um, and again, our it's BomarAndRitter.com is the website. We're on Facebook at Bomar and Ritter Music. Um, we've got shows. Most most of the shows we got coming up are kind of within the Indiana region. We got Richmond, Indiana in early October and uh, Western Indiana place called Windsor Wald Winery. So they can check our website, our schedules up there for that. We will be in Virginia the middle of uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving. There's three venues there, wineries that we play. One's a brand new one that's just opening that we're kind of excited about playing because it's right across the street from where Mary's dad lives. Oh, wow. So the two minute drive to that one. And, uh, and again, several in December, again, mainly right here in, in, in Central. We play at several places up around Indianapolis, which is my hometown. have some friends that come out. So we try to find places where, you know, where friends live, and, and yeah. we're always yeah. looking for new places. We haven't really gotten into the Cincinnati market. We're only about two miles, two two hours from Cincy. And, and even Louisville, we've got one winery west east of Louisville that works well, but haven't found anything in Louisville. Uh, we thought about getting – there's a – uh, merch, some of those merch things where you don't get the inventory yourself, but you have it set up. You can set your design. People can order it from them. They get the majority of the the, the profit from it. But then we don't have to have all you know t-shirts and hats or coffee mugs or whatever. And I haven't investigated that. We're trying to do all the all the the 
website and the emails and I, I haven't had as much time for the creative side or haven't the creative side hasn't really you know grabbed me because i'm always doing this other stuff and by the time i'm doing that it's like i'm kind of done yeah yeah <laughs> at all the creative energy <laughs> so but uh just keep up with this mainly on the facebook i just opened an instagram thing because somebody on on spotify wanted to add us onto their playlist they've got a lot of a lot of listeners so i thought well yeah still want to have us put us on there i don't know what they want to play um so i did we just did an instagram uh thing i've still got to set all but uh but Bandcamp is coming, and uh, but the main bulk is is our website and the Facebook page is the best way to keep up with us at this point. And we're hoping to, you know, Mary's got a lot of the songs that she's the new ones she's done. I've got a lot of stuff that's been sitting in folders. Some stuff we used to do a long time ago that hasn't made it onto our recordings yet. We um, need a we need to get in the studio yeah, and yeah, record yeah. them. Right? I think since COVID started, I've probably written twenty to twenty five songs, and none of them are on records. So oh wow! A lot of folks, a lot of folks have said we need to do an, an album of uh, Fogelberg music. Fogelberg, we want to do a Fogelberg tribute to the to the, uh, the songs that I mean, there's how it'd be hard to decide how many to do because we when we do the feature of those Fogelberg events, we had like twenty eight or thirty songs we were doing, and so we'd have to pare it down to about twelve, and then also a, a cover record of the cover songs people like to hear us do with the Neil Youngs and Joni Mitchell, Joni Mitchell, Bonnie right. Raitt, and different, <laughs> different stuff. So, uh, a lot of stuff to try and keep up with that we're just uh, there's there's never going to be anything not to do there's always gonna that's be right there's there. always stuff yeah. yeah we don't have a manager or uh, a booking agent i mean we're just self-contained and so trying to take care of a house out in the country and our 10 furry children and <laughs> us it's kind of well, yeah, never. Uh, we don't have a guitar tech handing us in tune guitars <laughs> on stage, so you know, and our ears are pretty, pretty sensitive to being in tune. Yeah. Um, and and so we, you know, we, you put the capo on and you retune. Yeah. So. Right. Um, anyway. Well, so kids, it's uh, uh, it's been fun, and it's yeah. been yes, informative, and it's inspiring, and I hope that people that listen to this podcast take away from the gift that you've given me in terms well, of your positive you, messages and your positive music. It's a, it's a real blessing. And uh, that's probably the best way to describe it. It's a blessing it really is. It's, thank it's I've gotten right, from right. God. So yeah, yeah, right you. back at you on that. We, yeah. we feel it was nice to get your uh, initial contact around Labor Day. And I thought, and it actually inspired, we've been kind of waiting about ordering new CDs. It's like, cause it's kind of expensive and the mm. sales haven't been up, but there are some folks that still want them. And it's like, when you said, we want to do this podcast thing it's like well, people hear it and they want to buy them we, let's go ahead and get them we'll bite the bullet if we you know yeah. it might take five years to sell them all but we'll have them so it might uh, take five years before we get that kind of demand too but yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's it's been a, a pleasure we really appreciate the opportunity it was something kind of out of the blue we enjoyed those kind of things it, it was fun it was fun our guest today was bomar and ritter from deputy indiana tomorrow we wrap up indiana completely we'll be in indianapolis and meet a band called beautiful ammunition you've been listening to the music of america podcast if you like today's show please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our music of america podcast facebook page like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows 
and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the music of America.